Good morning, brothers and sisters. We could turn to, in our Bibles, the epistle to the Colossians. Um, We're going to begin our study this morning. As you've heard, uh, we're going through a series of the church. Um, One thing that was mentioned, especially this morning at the Lord's Supper, was the priesthood specifically the high priest of the believer, and we're going to touch on some of those um, subjects this morning, and I think it'll be helpful, especially with, with the a lot amount of time that we have. But there's also a portion uh, concerning church government that um, is also going to be covered. So if we could um, begin reading God's word in Colossians. If you turn there, thank you. I haven't. just going to read one verse. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and he, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to gather around thy word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have its perfect work in us that it would help us to understand what we read, what we meditate upon, that it would have an effect on our everyday lives. We ask that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would get the glory this morning, as he should have the preeminence above all things. We ask these things in your son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first topic of church government. Um, It sounds maybe a little, makes you uncomfortable thinking of government and associating with church. But I think it's, it's worthy to consider why we meet in the way we do, why we have this setup. If you go to a lot of churches, in general, they don't do things like we do. So where do we get this guidance? Where do we get this government, this setup, uh, in simple man's terms, to be practical? Why is it that we gather like this? Why is it that we don't have a one-person uh, sometimes referred as a priest, as a pastor, as a reverend up here that just will have the authority and dictate to the congregation? Why is it that we meet on the mornings like we did this morning with the liberties that we have? Well, church government, if you want to call it the way that we meet, it's not so much as a democracy. Like in this great nation, we could see uh, that it's a democratic government. Officials are elected by the people, and yes, it works fairly well, but even so, there's still corruption that enters. God set up a system that's perfect, in which he is the head, right? Who who did we just read of? The head of the church. Who ultimately has the authority? Where is the headquarters of the church? We read in, in verse 18 that he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the head of the body. And when we're speaking of body, we're not speaking of our physical body. And when we speak of church, we're not speaking about these bricks and mortar and and, uh, compound and timbers that make this building. That is not the church. The church is the body of believers. It's a living organism, as we have discussed in the past. And since every local congregation, or you could say local church, it's not referring to the building of Bolo Bible Chapel, if you f- go further east, it's not referring to Hollywood Bible Chapel, the building. It's referring to the group of believers that gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the way it's set up is that the headquarters for every individual congregation is in heaven. Our headquarters is not here on earth. It is not a chain of churches in which there's a hundred churches that are subject to one church that started them all, and they're all under the authority of certain individuals. The way that God set it up is when the church is created, it would hive off and create multiple assemblies, and they would all work simultaneously, but independent from one another, only answering to him, Christ being the head. We can look at just a couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Very similar, and this is the reason why I'm reading these verses. This is not something that's made up. It's something that's throughout the New Testament. And we here try to follow the New Testament model of the way that God wants us to meet. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Here we see it's not something that's made up. It's something that is uh, very consistent through, through the scripture. The same book in Ephesians in chapter uh, 5. Now this is uh, more of a, 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 a lesson towards the family, how the husbands are, are, to, are to, to behave and the wives. In verse 23 it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Again, that's referring to the church. Therefore, as the church is subjected unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, we discussed church order. I believe Brother Malcolm covered some of that last week. I wasn't here myself. But if you have an issue with the wife and husband thing, you can take it up with him. We're here to discuss about the church. But just like that, just, just as the wife is to submit to go under the rule of the husband, so is the church. Now, we don't answer, again, to... Uh, Hollywood Bible Chapel. They can't say, you know, I'm not speaking bad about those brothers, but they say, hey, we decided this, the elders here, and we think that you should do this. Well, that's very, thank you for sharing, but that's not the way it's operated. We are only to answer to the authority, to our head, which is in heaven, which is Christ. And you see this also in the book of Revelations, right? When uh, Christ is speaking to John the Apostle when he's having this vision of the candlesticks. And it's representing the seven churches of Asia at that time. Laodicea, Philadelphia, Pergamos, Smyrna. Uh, and he has uh, specific uh, judgments of, of their works and he's assessing them. And you see that he would move in between the candlesticks as the Lord Jesus Christ the same does, it applies today to the New Testament church. He works in between. He works amongst the churches. And they are to answer to him, to his authority. Now, there, there are exceptions to this um, where certain congregations would, would come together and discuss things uh, early in the church, which doesn't apply today. Uh, there was in the book of Acts, the uh, issue of, of there was wrong teaching that was coming up. And it says that the elders gathered up when they were trying to teach. Some of them were holding on to old traditions, trying to inject works into salvation. And then they would meet together and come on concises. But brothers, brothers and sisters, we have the completed word of God. And that is 
the ultimate authority. So we see that the head of the church is in heaven, and it is Christ. We see that the authority on this earth is God's word. This is the final authority. The writer to Hebrews who would say, and God who in sundry times and past manners spoke to his people through prophets, in these last days has spoken us in his son, by the word of his son. The word is complete. There's no need to add to it. We have the authority here on earth for the church. And then we see the church's only guidance is the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit would lead ministry where we go, it would open and close doors. And the Bible says that we are not to quench the spirit, right, from leading, especially in the assembly of God. Now, we've established where the authority is. Hopefully it's, it's fairly clear. I'm trying to skim through this so we could get to our second topic. Uh, there's certain positions in office, right? And when you talk about government, and you see, uh, I mean, we're blessed to live in such a nation as this, that we have the liberty. It's very prosperous. There's many immigrants that are trying to get here to obtain this American dream, where they, if you work hard, you put your efforts, you assimilate into the population, become an American, that you're going to have it better from where you came from, right? But even in this so-called government, there's corruption, there's instability. Uh, you see this specifically uh, through history. There's rise and fall of kingdoms. You study, do a study in the book of Daniel, and you would see that Daniel goes through so many empires. They would rise, they would fall. And the Bible would describe some, some aspects of those empires as beautiful. They had, had this, they had that. But it would also go on to describe them as beasts. As beasts that when they are threatened, they turn into a beast. Um, you could see that elected officials sometimes will have an opinion. And I'm not getting political here. I don't like politics particularly. But you'll see people say one thing just to get the votes of the people, to get power. And then you see a video clip of them 10 years ago. They're saying the exact opposite thing because that was the popular idea back then. With God, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. And because he has perfect rule, this is the system. It, it works. And it's, it's uh, his will for the New Testament church to follow it. We don't have elected officials here. We never elected Brother Malcolm. Please forgive me if you, if you thought that. We never selected him to be an elder. And Brother Aaron, Brother Dave, and Brother Jamel, they weren't, it wasn't popular vote. It's the Holy Spirit that selects elders. And this is one of the positions in the New Testament church, a position. And then the other position would be a deacon. And that's another defined, finally defined position that we find in the New Testament. Then you raise your hand and you say, brother, what about uh, bishops? What about uh, reverends? What about pastors? What about gurus? What about, there's so many cardinals and archbishops that have infiltrated into these man-made positions in, in, in churches. And we have to be careful to go through the New Testament and to define what is scriptural and what is not. The, the, the position of the elder is one of, it's very important, it's very prominent in the New Testament. It's mentioned over and over. In the book of Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're not going to read it all, but if you go through the first, through the chapter, it gives you the qualifications of an elder. Certain aspects that they are to meet in order to qualify for this. It also goes on to give the qualifications for a deacon. 
And it also gives you the reasons why you need elders and why you need deacons. We're just going to discuss three, three main um, responsibilities of the elders. Um, and again, I'm saying this with, with a humble attitude, and, and, and we ought to pray for our leadership. Us as the congregation, this is a, a, a heavy burden that is placed on these men, and we are, in the sense, to be uh, um, under submission of the authority of the elders at each local assembly. Now, if an elder from another assembly comes and tries to tell me something, no, I have my own leadership here at this congregation that I would uh, answer to. Three responsibilities of the elder would be to guide the flock in God's truth, to say yes when yes needs to be said, to say no when no is the correct answer, and there to guide the flock. Here we see the image of a shepherd. He is guiding the flock that they don't go off to an incorrect path. He keeps them all together, taking them through green pastures. Um, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For if a man... <clears throat> no, not, not 1 Timothy, I'm sorry. Yes, in verse 5, For if a man... Uh, one of the qualifications of a elder, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? He can't be a novice. He can't be somebody that is young, somebody... That's just up and coming. And it could be a very spiritual young believer. But this is supposed to be somebody that's seasoned. That's supposed to be able to discern and supposed to guide the flock. The second thing is he must be able to feed the flock. Feed them from God's word. What does that mean? They have to be a learned brother. That's somebody that if you have a question, something of, of, of scripture concerning that they have questions, they should be able to, to share from God's word. And they are to feed the flock. As Christ would look unto Peter, and Peter would go, himself go on to be an elder, when, when uh, Christ would ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? Lord, thou knowest that I love you. He would ask him three times. And over and over, the image that Christ gives us is, feed the flock. Feed the flock. Are the elders feeding the flock? It is very important. It's a vital role for the growth of the assembly as a whole, as, as individual believers, that we need to go to the elders Go approach him. Hey, I read this. I'm having a difficult time with this passage. Could you please help me out? They are to feed the flock. And the third important aspect of the elders is they are to protect the church from false teachings. Paul would write uh, that beware lest anyone beguile you with enticing words. There's times a lot, times a lot of people that look to go in, creep their way into a congregation to give some false teaching and to boot out the existing leadership. The elders are supposed to be Lord, looking over the flock and protecting them from false teaching. If anything is against Christ, that denies the deity of Christ, that denies the resurrection, in First John it tells that it is antichrist, it is not of God. And the elders are to, to step in. And being in this assembly since I was a kid, I've seen it firsthand a few times. And somebody would get up something and say something, that it's kind of puzzling. An elder would get up. I remember Mr. Gus would get up and he would intervene. And he would say, no, that's not what we believe. And he would push away that, that false teaching. And it would be addressed to the congregation. This is why we don't believe that. And he would give scripture specifically on why that's incorrect. So they are wary of 
uh, wolves among the sheep and they protect the flock. Um, then there's many examples of this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as, as they would uh, protect the flock from false teachings. You think of, of Moses and Aaron with the trials that they had going through the, through the desert after sign after sign after miracle after miracle that God will come through the people. Some people would still rise. My, what, the story that comes to mind is was Korah and his sons when they say, Moses, you take too much upon you. You take too much authority over us. Here is somebody that's a wolf among sheep. And Moses and Aaron, they fall before the face of the Lord, and then they pray for guidance. And then they address the assembly, protecting God's people. And the deacons have a lot of the similar qualifications. And uh, you could read, uh, since we're running out of time, in, in Acts chapter 6, uh, 3 through 5, an example of, of when they instituted uh, the, the office of the deacons. Now, it'll be, it's worth noting, what about uh, the office of a pastor? It's very common. You go to many, the majority of the churches here in America, and you see this one person that's appointed to teach from the Word of God and does every Sunday. What about that? Is that the pasture? That's not the pasture that we see in the New Testament. And I'm not hiding the fact that that word appears multiple times in the New Testament. The word pasture is derived from the word shepherd. Again, this is a qualification of an elder that shepherds the flock. It is listed as a spiritual gift, something that's given to individuals, not as a position as it has become today. Now, I say these things, brothers, uh, not for you to go out and start condemning people that attend these other meetings. There are good brothers and sisters. There's good teaching in some of these churches. They don't necessarily follow the exact model of the New Testament, but we ought to be gracious and not to say that this is the work of Satan because there's there's the, the, the gospels going out, people are getting saved. And you have to be gracious when you share about these things to certain believers to not cause uh, brothers a stumbling block. With that being said, there's the distinction of church positions that is given in the assembly. It's com composed of saints. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a saint. It's referred to that multiple times in the New Testament. There's deacons and then there's elders. Every saint is a believer. Every deacon and elder are saints, but not every saint is a deacon or an elder. And it is the Holy Spirit who raises them. It is a work that they do. There's people that are pastors that have the, the gift of shepherding that are not elders. And it could be because they don't qualify for the, they don't meet the qualification in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But we need to to, to be able to distinguish the line between gifts and positions. And I hope that we've done that this morning. Now, to the topic which I want to get to, and of course, I, uh, the clock was against me, is the priesthood of a believer. Let's quickly turn to the book of, to the, the Revelation, to John the Apostle. Um, we're just going to read a few verses to touch base to touch on, on this topic of the priesthood of the believer. In Revelations, in chapter 1, God's word reads like this, in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto our God, his Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever. 
Amen. Chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, He has made us, made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. Now, this is speaking about believers here. Just as every believer is a saint, every believer is a priest. What does it mean to be a priest? Why, are, why is every believer a priest? Because that's not what the so-called image that the world has of a priest. Remember when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a, it, my parents, before they were saved, it was, it was Catholic. Just culturally, everything was Catholic. We lived in a small town in which there was a Catholic church. I remember going in with some friends with, when we were little kids, and there was a man that sat in a box. Then you would go there and you would say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And he would tell you to do X amount of Hail Marys, say this, that, and your sins are forgiven as if that man, that flesh and blood, has the authority to forgive sins. As if that man is the one that is the mediator between God and man. That is not what my Bible teaches about a priest. That is completely against what the New Testament says about a priest. Every believer is a priest. Now let's be practical. What is a priest? What is the role of a priest? And it was mentioned this morning about our great high priest. There's a distinction between the priesthood of a believer and the high priest, which we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, there is a great prototype, a great model that we see in the Old Testament. It's not just stories for us to look at, to see how they failed, but it is for our learning. It's a shadow of great things to come. What was the priesthood in the Old Testament? Well, it was restricted to one tribe. And specifically, the priesthood was restricted to one family within that tribe to do the work. And how serious did God take that? Well, there was great consequences when those roles were crossed. You think of uh, King David, when he desired to bring the presence of the Lord amongst, amongst his people in Jerusalem. And he, he would uh, call to bring the ark of God, which would re- represent and have the presence of God, to bring it on this, this new cart, this new technology. Hey, let's worship like this. You know, they worship like this in the past. Let's worship like this. This is new. So they placed the ark uh, of God on a cart with wheels being hauled and everything ended up being a disaster. The Lord struck the people down because they did not follow his rules. Uh, praise the Lord, David read his Bible. And in, in the account of Chronicles, it would say that he would say, none but the Levites ought to handle the, the ark. And he would have a great feast. And, and it would list Levi after Levi by names, by numbers. And it would give an account of how many. And it was rejoicing. And now the presence of the Lord was a blessing. Because the priesthood, the, the priestly role was exercised according to the will of God. The priests were the ones that would present sacrifices, that they would minister to God. They were the ones that would handle the, the holy utensils, the holy furniture, the articles uh, that made up this, this tabernacle. What was the point of the tabernacle? As we read in, in, in Revelations, and behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. It's the whole purpose is for God to be amongst his people and to set, establish a, a, a way that men could approach God. And we see that it was very exclusive in the Old Testament. We see that <clears throat> even kings couldn't, couldn't cross that line. Uzziah was struck for leprosy for trying to exercise the role of a priest because it was contradictory to 
what God had mandated. It's something serious. So the priesthood, the, 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 the role of the priest, even in the believer, ought to be taken very serious, brothers and sisters. What is it about us that it differs from the Old Testament? Well, it's a different covenant. It's a different type of sacrifice. It's a different high priest. We look, we examine the role of the high priest this morning. And, and the, the, the failure of the old priesthood, it was given upon Aaron and his sons, where we described this morning about the mitre that he would wear and the, garbs of, the, the, the garments of glory that he would have to wear before he would enter into the, the tabernacle to offer different sacrifices. And it's a, it's a long study to see what's the different sacrifices that they had and, and, and what was the purpose of the sacrifices. And, and we see that it didn't matter how many Animals were sacrificed. It couldn't take away sin. But here we come to the New Testament, to our high priest, the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. Let's just look at a few of those verses in the book of James. I mean, in the, the, the Hebrews, the epistle of Hebrews. A lot of these verses were mentioned this morning. I'll mention some that weren't. Um, in Hebrews... Chapter 6, verse 19, and we, which hope we have as an anchor, speaking about our high priest, an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into, into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean, brother and sister, about this high priest in particular? You think of the greatest prophet being John the Baptist, as he would come and he would turn the, the hearts of the people. He would make straight the paths, announcing the coming of the Messiah. What an honor that was. And here was this faithful man preparing the way for the, entering, for the coming, for, for the Messiah to come into this world. Imagine the privilege that each believer has. Now, this is not boasting, but it's saying that Christ is our forerunner in heaven, announcing our coming. Imagine that. If Christ is entering and preparing a place and entering our entering, preparing our entrance into heaven, what an anchor, what a surety the believer has that he will get us there, that he will save us to the uttermost, and that he will not fail as Aaron and Moses did. Now, I'm not being hard on Aaron and Moses. They did a lot of great things for the Lord. And, and, and they could not get into the promised land. They got the people to the promised land, but they themselves could not get into the promised land. I would just like to examine uh, in, the book of Judge, um, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 20. This is a very graphic image of the high priest, Aaron, towards the end of his ministry. Um, Let's look at verse 23, and this is the Lord speaking. This is, it comes after the people were just tired of wandering. Forty years in the wilderness, their hearts were down, and they were thirsty. And, and, God, and, and Moses and Aaron again would intercede for the people. They would look, the, the role of, of that high priest was to uh, save the people, to help them in their time of testing. And here we see that they would approach again the Lord, and the Lord would speak to them. He would tell them, to speak to the rock, and water shall come forth. And then look what happens um, in verse 23 after they disobeyed and they struck the rock. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor, 
by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, and he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take, take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up unto Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, and he shall die. And then Moses did as the, the, as the Lord commanded, and they went up into the Mohor in, in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put him upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died on the top of the mount, and Moses and Eleazar came down. And the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, and they mourned 30 days. What a, what a tremendous, uh, uh, just graphic scene. Here was this man that led the people through all these years through the wilderness. And he would intercede when the people would sin. He would intercede when they had a need. And, and God would provide a salvation for them. Amen. That's what the role of the high priest is. He's to lead the, 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 the people of God. He's to help them through their time of testing. As we, the, 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 the believers, come to a point of testing, it is Christ who prays for us. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ told Peter. Satan hath desired... To have you, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. And, and this is the role of the high priest, that he's to make sure that the, the, the believer gets into heaven. That, the, that Their role was to make sure that the people would make it to the promised land. And through this testing, the non-believers would be made known. They would die. They wouldn't have faith. And we have the high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, as he ever lives to make intercession for us. And here we see that Aaron, because he sinned and because of his failure, he would be stripped from his garments of glory before the congregation. It was a public thing. And they would see this, this, this uh, majestic looking man be stripped of those majestic clothing and just be seen as an old frail man. They would be put upon his son and he would die. He would die because of the sin that he committed. Oh, what a vast contrast. It is between him and our high priest who had the glory, but instead he fleshed that glory. And he walked on this earth, lived a perfect life, and he would be presented before the congregation and he would be torn for the sin that he committed? No, brother and sister. He died for our sins. The veil was ripped and he shed his blood for us. Imagine that. Our high priest would walk that line and he would go before the people and be stripped and be crucified on a sinner's cross. The Holy One who knew no sin, God made him sin for us. The Savior died. That's him, our high priest. And that's the one that was mentioned this morning. Our, our high priest, how different it is, us, us as being priests, uh, the, the priesthood of the believers exercise, we have an assurance and as an anchor. We have an assurance, we have a forerunner. We have one that ever made, lives to make intercession for us in heaven. One that would guarantee our entrance. Now, we spoke about sacrifices. Our time is up. I'll, 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 I'll close with this. The sacrifices that the, the old... Testament priest 
What are nights? Would, would be sacrifices for sin offering. There's uh, different type of sacrifices. We, our brother Malcolm mentioned the red heifer. Um, there is the Day of Atonement where they would enter into, physically enter into the holiest of holy. Um, and, and it would be something of, of fear and, and, and reverence. If, if uh, Tradition would tell us if the high priest, they would tie a rope around his feet just in case if he went in there, if he was unclean and the Lord struck him down, they would have a way to get him out. But we have this high priest that we read in, in uh, Hebrews that we, we could now boldly approach, enter the throne of grace. What a difference that is. And as for the believer, Paul would write in the book of Romans, chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Isn't that the role of the priest? To serve God, to, 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 to be involved in, in God's service. Brother and sister, how have you been carrying on your priestly ministry? Is this something that's on the back burner? Is this something that you just think, I'll go to church on, on Sunday, I'll listen to the word, and then the rest of the week, that's it. That's not exercising your role as a priest in the New Testament church per the model that God laid for us. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We're as living stones amongst the body of Christ. And we need to be exercising. We need to be in service to God. We don't have to go through a mediator. We don't have to go through a Levite. We go through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Seeing as our, our time is up, we would um, ask for the Lord's blessing. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we thank you for such a high, great high priest that we have, for sacrificing and burnt offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared. And it was that perfect sacrifice that would come and he would shed his blood, a blood that would cost you everything, the most precious thing that you had to redeem a humanity to make us sons and heirs, to make us kings and priests. Father, we, our prayer for every believer this morning is that they would be a living sacrifice, a congregation of living stones that would be to the service of their master, that we would be vessels that would be useful to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have his work in us, in, in our congregation, Father. We pray for the elders, the deacons, and the leadership here, Father. We pray for all the saints, that we would walk in accordance to your will. We ask that your name would get the glory. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.